My name's Tyler. I'm one of the pastors. So glad that you're here if this is your first time. It is summer. It's been a little hot this week. Is, who's been spending extra time underneath the air conditioning? Just about everybody, right? I hear it's only going to get better from here. Is that, I don't, that's true, right? It only gets better, which means it gets worse and we all melt. Um, glad that you guys are here and glad that the air conditioning is working. Um, thank you guys so much for being meeting us online as well. Just a couple of things. Uh, we have a July 6th concert that we are going to be co-hosting with Leap of Faith, which is the dance studio across the way. We thought we would do something the 4th of July week after the 4th. Everybody kind of crams everything in uh, on the, before the 4th of July, so we thought we'd do something after the fact. So if you don't have plans on July the 6th, which I believe is a Thursday, we'll get more info out tomorrow uh, in the email about that. It's a country music band, and they travel, and they've decided to come and host an evening with us, which is excellent. They're, um, they're a Christian band as well, and so they do cover songs as well as their own original stuff. It's Mark 209, I believe is the band name. It is Mark 209. I'm just kidding. And I would invite you to come and invite your friends as well. It would be free of charge if you want to donate to them or to Leap of Faith or to us. You could do that if you want, but it's kind of a fundraiser evening for all three entities. So there you go. Make sure you do that. Last week we had a great um, Engage Arlington Sunday. Who enjoyed that? Who was here last week for that? Yeah, wasn't that fun? And so the reason we did that, again, just if you missed it, several churches in Arlington are wanting to partner together to be a blessing to the city of Arlington. And so we decided to join with Mosaic and worship together. And the idea is that we'll probably do more of those as the opportunities uh, come up. One thing, just a couple of things I want to put on your calendar. One is that we have a prayer and fasting day citywide that all churches are going to participate in. So it's a pr- day of prayer and fasting with worship in Levitt Pavilion that evening before we break the fast. That would be September the 20th. That's a Wednesday. So just go ahead and put that on your calendar to be praying and fasting on behalf of the city of Arlington, how we could be a blessing and good neighbors uh, churches in the city together. And then Unite Arlington Weekend also coming off of that will be October in October where we get a chance to serve together as churches. And so here's the thing, right? I mean, there's lots of things. We all have all the things to do and, and all the schedule, but I think intentionally giving ourselves away is something that is good, that one, it honors God, and two, it forces us to think about things that we can do and that we can serve together. Agreed? And so, you know, I think I read somewhere, it's like, consider others' needs above your own. I read that somewhere uh, in a book. I can't remember what it's called, but um, the Bible, actually. But the idea is just that as we come together as the Big C Church in Arlington, that's a great way for us to continue to grow and to continue to get uh, as we transition into the season that we're in. And I just want to say, like, why is this important? And you're like, well, I mean, it's an easy thing to say is to put on a T-shirt and go serve. But this is why it's important. In the face of increasing polarization, both ideologically, theologically, politically, God is calling his churches to be together and to be one. And that's the best way for us to be salt and light or light in a dark place, however, whatever language you want to use. And, and so I would encourage all of us to be thinking about that, how we do that together as a church, but also individually, because he's not just calling churches to be together. He's calling all of us to step out. And in the face of a culture that is 
really hard, right? And it's stressful. And you know how it is. Like you spend any moment on, or any few, a few minutes on social media and you realize just how divided everything is and how hard everything is and how much vitriol everything is and how much battery acid that is just laced on everything that we get to come together and actually be for the things as opposed to against everything. I think that's a beautiful picture of God's kingdom at work. Amen? You agree? So I love just the opportunity to do that. And so how this fits in the vision of Crossroads is that, you know, we're going to continue to grow together in spiritual community. Then we had the small group that met this morning. I heard they got through the fourth question today, which was a triumph. And then the conversation was so rich, they got four questions out of 16 discussion-wise. So, like, if you don't have something where you're growing together with people, we have something already programmed in on Sunday morning or Wednesday nights or on Zoom with women's groups and things, more to come. But we're going to grow together in relationship, but also we're going to reach our neighbors for the gospel. And so we do that. We grow, and then we go out, and we come back, and we grow, and we go out. And so the idea is that we want to be gospel-centered unity in churches and together that glorifies God and and then attracts people to him. Because that's what happened to me. I don't know what your story is, but I knew I was far away, and there was something that... I saw in people who were following Jesus, and it called to me, and how thirsty I was, and it just kind of, it just scratched that itch, and so no matter what we do, whether, you know, whatever we do, like, nothing will ever satisfy as much as he does, amen, amen, two weeks ago, we're in the book of James, by the way, two weeks ago, we talked about fights and disagreements within the church, so, like, this is, I think, a perfect text as we wrap up chapter four today. Uh, and, and James, as we come off Engage Arlington, as we work through, what does it look like for us to be together as the church? And so James was writing to the church as to why they were having so many disagreements, right? I mean, like just like we were talking about a second ago, there's so much going on in the world. There's so much going on in the world, and there's so many disagreements and fights. And, then, you know, and we have the election cycle coming back up, so it's only going to get better, right? Just like it's only going to get cooler Actually, no, it's going to get harder, right? And so just like it gets worse, and, and just this idea that James is writing to his people that unmet desires equals anger and frustration in the heart, which Jesus said, if you're angry with people, then you murder them in your heart, and, and that envy and covetousness and being jealous leads to fights and quarrels. And so James is focused on not that they're having disagreements, but the source of their disagreement which is they just didn't have a great prayer life. And I know you're like, well, who has a great prayer life? I think we could all do better in our prayer life. And so that's what James is talking about. And so just three things from two weeks ago before we move on is that when it comes to prayer, when it comes to prayer, we need to pray the right things, right? We have to have, we need to be praying for and asking for the right things. Two, we have to have the right motives behind our prayers, it's really easy to get focused on what I don't have as opposed to what God is calling me to pray for. Calling us to pray for as opposed to praying what we don't have. And a lot of times I think, I, I think about prayer that way. is like, God, let me ask you for what I don't have. Like you're some gumball machine. And if I put a quarter of my prayer in your quarter machine, then if I turn the wheel the right way, then it's going to pop what it is that I need. But then the other thing is um, praying the thing that you don't, what is it that you want for me? And what is it that you want me to do for you? That's what I mean by 
motives and right requests. And then finally, the right kingdom. I should be concerned. We should be concerned about God's kingdom. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not just what it is that I need or what I want. And so just truth number one, just a few truths this morning. Prayer involves the right motives, the right requests, and the right kingdom. And you think about that. The right motives, the right requests, the right kingdom. How often do I use my personal prayer time to build my kingdom for my wants and my needs? And James is saying to the church that he's written this letter to, is like, guys, you're fighting and you're disagreeing because, man, if we pray for the right motives and the right requests and the right kingdom, then the things that we would disagree on, the things that we would fight on, the things that we would have issue with, those would probably melt away. And so just this idea that our prayer lives should increase our faith and give us life. Our prayer lives should increase our faith, right? Like because we're praying, we're trusting that God's going to answer. Because we're asking him, we trust that he's going to move us down the path that he has for us. Because we're asking, we don't see the answer because it's unseen, but we believe that it's going to happen. And that should increase our faith. Prayer, our prayer life should increase our faith, but it should also give us life. How often do we participate in things that don't give us life, yet take it away? But our prayer lives actually should give it, not take it. And so before we start, at the, before we finish up chapter 4, I want to complete James' argument this morning. James began chapter 1 saying, why are you, what causes quarrels and fights among you? He says in verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war with you? He says in verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And then he says this, this is where prayer comes into it. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. So James starts this portion of the letter saying, hey, you're asking for all the wrong things. You're doing the right motions, but you actually don't have the right heart behind what it is that you're supposed to be doing. You ask because you do not, ha you do not have because you don't ask, and when you ask, you're asking for the wrong things. And so then we jump down to verses 10 through 12. You could follow along on the, on the board. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you, okay? And then verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are a doer of the law. You're not a doer of the law, excuse me, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So to connect these two thoughts, it's... Evidently, they're arguing, they're fighting, never happens. I've never seen that happen in a church or in society before. I'm interested to see what that looks like. And they're doing it in such a way that they're actually withdrawing relationship from one another. Because that's what fights do, doesn't it? It stresses relationships. It actually drives a wedge in relationships. It pulls relationships apart. And so this church is fighting in such a way and asking for things in such a way that it's actually driving them apart further away from one another and further away from God as opposed to pushing them in 
Prayer is like the glue in relationships between us and one another and us and God. But instead, they're being driven apart. And so now, evidently, on the back end of all those things, now they're speaking evil against one another. So no longer are they disagreeing or fighting. Now they're sniping each other. Right? I don't know if you've ever been the subject of that, but that's no fun. But yet, here we are. And so what happens when we speak evil against one another in verse 11? Well, we judge. Right? When we speak evil against each other, we judge. And so you see this, how it all is supposed to start from prayer and work its way down. Now we're moving from prayer and all those things, and now we're moving from fights to disagreements to now judgment. And when we judge one another, we put each other in the prison of our thoughts, our disagreements, and our fights. That's what judgment does. Now, I've got kids, and so sometimes I have to tell them what they're doing is wrong, Right? Although my kids are perfect, and I think I said that last week too, right? My kids never do anything wrong, and I never do anything wrong as a parent. I don't know how you guys feel about your parenting style, but mine's awesome and perfect, and I never, ever, ever mess it up. Praise the Lord. That's right. Praise God. My wife does, by the way. She messes hers up all the time. I'm just going to go for it, right? I mean, I'm just going to be honest, right? That's what churches we're supposed to be honest, and so I'm perfect, and my wife is not. And so whatever problems we have with our kids, it's because of her, not because of me. And I never, ever pour gas on anything ever, ever, ever. Amen. Right? That's right. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Also, also, I just want to say, if lightning strikes me, it's because of my wife. It's not because of me. Okay? So what happens when we speak evil? Because we judge. And so when we judge one another, we're putting people in the prison of our judgments. You ever felt the subject of someone's judgment? Do you feel confined or do you feel free? You feel confined, right? You feel confined. And so when we judge one another, we are imprisoning people, imprisoning people with our thoughts and the disagreement and the fight. And you know the term, this person or these persons are in the doghouse with me. You ever like, right? Have you ever felt like you've been in the doghouse with someone or someone's been in the doghouse? We know what a doghouse is, right? It's not that we put dogs in the doghouse or pets in their places so that we could be around them. We're like, get out of here. We want to get this. Our dog is a whiner. Um, he's not a Weimer whiner. He's just a, a whiner. And so, like, whenever we start moving around and he thinks we're leaving, he starts kind of hissing. He, not hissing because that's what cats do. But he, um, he starts whining and kind of squeaking. And we're like, finally, we're just like, be quiet and just go to your kennel. And he, like, you know, soaks off and and leaves the room in disgrace. Well, that's what we do with disagreements, don't we? When we have disagreements with people, it disrupts the relationship. We put them in the doghouse. Two weeks ago, we talked about how fights and quarrels disrupt the relationship. By the way, God wants us to handle these disagreements without speaking evil to each other. He doesn't say not to have disagreements. He says, actually, have disagreements in a way that builds people up and then loves and encourages them to seek reconciliation, to press together, not to pull apart. And so when we speak evil, we judge people and imprison people who are supposed to, by the way, we're going to celebrate it next week as a country, but you and I are not designed to live in prison. 
I know we feel that way. I know sometimes we feel like we're trapped by the world. I know sometimes we're trapped by our circumstances or we're trapped by our needs. We feel like everything's kind of closing in, if you've ever felt that way. But you and I, as followers and as created by God, are not designed to be trapped in prison. Matter of fact, God cares so much that you and I are not, are not designed to be that way that he sent his son to die on our behalf so that the prison door would remain open and unlocked for all eternity. We are not designed to live in prison. We are supposed to live free. But truth number two, when we speak evil against people, we imprison them within our words. You ever caught yourself doing that? Maybe it's a spouse, or maybe it's a child, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a friend, a coworker, and you get going down the road of conflict, and you're and you're and you're off to the races, and the train's leaving the station, and you realize you go too far, and you shouldn't have said the thing that you said that you said. You ever done that? That word imprisons. That language goes way too far. And yet Jesus died so that you and I don't have to be in prison anymore. And so when we speak evil against people, we imprison them within our words. I mean, this is James. This is Jesus' brother talking. I think he would know of all things what it means to live a life free. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus, by the way? Like, you saw Jesus grow up. You know all the things that he does well and the things he doesn't. And I'm sure Jesus maybe was annoying too. I don't know. I mean, siblings have this knack of annoying one another. But can you imagine just James, like here he is, not only does he know Jesus as brother, but he also knows him as Savior. And just the understanding of what Jesus did, James has a special understanding of what that is. And so when he says, hey, actually don't speak evil against one another, brothers, the one who speaks Evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. And this is what James means by becoming a judge. Because when you speak evil against people, guess what you do? Well, you judge them. And then what happens? Have you felt imprisoned by someone's judgment? Have you ever felt the sting of someone's judgment that was right? Man, that's hard, right? But have you ever felt the sting of someone's judgment that was way off base and you just like want to fight back? That's what James is saying. When you become the judge, it's because you judge people. And for you and for me, we miss the picture of the judge here. Because when I don't know about you, but when I think about judge, I think Supreme Court in a black robe and someone sitting high up with a gavel and... They're deciding what's right or wrong. That's what we think about judge, right? There's justice. Judges are there for justice. And when we're judged by people, we want justice. We want to be made right. We want it to be declared okay. But that's not what the kind of judge James is talking about. Right? James is talking about a different judge who does more than just decides what's right or wrong. Because that's what a judge does. Christians, by the way, we should care about not judging the world because we care deeply about what is right or wrong, right? And so just what does that balance look like as followers of Christ that we want to say, well, hey, I don't know if that's the right thing to do or this maybe should do something else, but we also don't want to judge the world because we're not called 
to be judges. And so, and I don't know about you, but I hear this statement all the time. You've heard it too. I'm not trying to judge anyone, but get that but there, and then there's fill in the space, right? So I'm not saying that there's not truth and untruth. But what I'm saying is, is we're not called to judge. God is. And so the problem is, James is not talking about Christians running around wearing black robes and deciding legal cases with one another. He's talking about how the body lives together. Talking about body life. Because this is a church, if you remember, is on the run and in trouble and under persecution and trying to figure out what it means to live in a world that is threatening its, own, its very own existence. And James is saying, hey, don't fight and don't disagree and don't have, you know, pray for the things that you need to pray for. And you, you don't have it because you haven't asked and you don't have it because you're not asking for the right things. And by the way, don't speak evil against one another. That's the body life, prayer. How do we live with one another? How do we encourage? How do we support? How do we gently prod towards other things, right? I have those people in my life. I'm not a perfect parent as much as I'd like to think. I'm not a perfect husband. I'm not a perfect whatever, right? Because I, but I have people in my life that hold the mirror up and say, have you considered this? Have you thought about this instead? But in James's mind, a judge is something different. A judge, because James was a Jewish believer, has this Jewish uh, context, a way of thinking. A judge was the leader of the whole nation. So, so before King Saul and King David and all the kings that have come after, there were judges. And judges were the leaders of the whole thing. There was no king. There was God and the prophet or the judge. And the judge, when the judge was around, it's because, man, things were really, 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 really bad. They weren't just deciding what's right or wrong. They're saying, hey, that road you guys are on as a nation, as God's followers, you might need to get off that path and come back and come to do something else. And so the judge was the leader of the whole thing. And so he's saying, hey, do not judge because there is no right or wrong. He's saying, if you judge other people, what you're doing is you're actually putting yourself in authority and dominion and power over them. Look at verse 11b, second half of verse 11. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So evidently, a judge couldn't do the law and be a judge at the same time. And so when we speak and when we judge against others or we speak against others, we're actually not judging them at all. We're judging the law that we should all be living by or the standard that we're trying to hold them to. And he's saying, actually, don't. if you judge the law, you're actually not a doer but a judge. The last thing we ever want to do is judge the law because that's what God gave us. And so actually, we're not actually disagreeing with anybody else or speaking evil. We're speaking evil against the law and the person who gave the law, who is God. And you might be thinking, I don't know. I would never judge God because he's perfect. And I'm not anyone who is in a position to judge anything about anything. But yet, we have disagreements all the time. And we have and we always wonder about people's motives and hearts toward us. 
And evidently it has happened so much that James devoted half of a chapter in this short letter to his church. And so the last thing we ever want to do is judge the law given by God. Because when we judge the law, what we're in fact doing is judging God as the giver. And do you see all the downstream problems of that? Because if I can't trust what God's given me, and I can't trust God, then everything else is off the rails. Everything else is off the rails. You've been in convos, right, where someone speaks over the top of someone and actually speaks for you as opposed to letting you speak. You ever had that conversation before? You ever been in those conversations where it's like two or three people and like, I don't know about you, but like our family is, like we like to talk over one another. It's it's pretty funny to watch and also really annoying at the same time. And so it's like, you just, you have, it's like the, you know, it's the in exit or the entrance ramp on I-35. You just got to go, right? Like, you know what? Just hit the gas and go and you get a word in and there you go. But when Christians judge one another, we're actually speaking for who God is. I don't know if we, I don't know if we ever think about it that way, but I'm pretty sure that that's probably something we shouldn't do. Because God actually can speak for himself. He doesn't need us to speak for him. But when we judge people, and when we judge the law, and we, and we speak evil and get to them, we're actually speaking and pronouncing things on people that maybe it's not ours to do at all, but maybe God wants to, to talk to people. And so in some ways, when you think about it, When we are speaking for other people and speaking against them, we're actually doing the work that God's supposed to do anyway. Which leads us to truth number three. When we speak evil against family, when we judge them, when we are so mad at them that we withdraw and we don't press in instead, we judge the law taking the place of who God is. And isn't that humanity's worst sin? God, I don't need you. Can we just go over there and sit, please? God, I know you know the way, but will you, I just want to do it my way. I don't want to listen to you. I don't really care. Or better yet, I know better in this situation because I've been so wrong and I'm so upset that I'm actually just going to do it anyway. And the fact of the matter is, God doesn't need us to speak for him. He doesn't. There is only, verse 12 says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to, dis, who, to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And he's, James is referencing judging your neighbor. Jesus said, hey, you should love God with everything that you have, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it says we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And so I'm pretty sure I don't ever wake up in the morning saying, I want people to judge me today because that's how I want to be loved. But yet, I put myself in situations and frustrations where I do that. I judge them. That's not actually not doing what Jesus asked us to do. But that's the biggest sin, isn't it? God doesn't need us to speak for him, even though sometimes we feel like we need to speak the family on his behalf, like he is some absent father. But actually, he's not absent. God speaks in creation. The Bible says that the rocks will cry out if no one will sing. The rocks will cry out. The mountains will cry out and speak and testify to the glory of who God is. Christ's death speaks more deeply and more clearly about who God is and what God is up to than anything I would ever, ever want to come up with. The scriptures 
are breathed by the Holy Spirit. They speak clearly. And by the way, we have the Holy Spirit who resides within each of us, that part of the Trinity that sits within us. Who are we to speak on behalf of God? And when we do it, we do it by doing it in a way that's not loving. And it's the height of human arrogance. Because that's the greatest sin. Because I want to be God of my own world and my own kingdom. That's what's wrong with the prayer in the beginning of chapter 4. Hey, you have not because you don't ask. Because who am I? I, I, just, I just expect that it's going to be there. Or you don't have it because you don't ask rightly. The height of human arrogance. Because who are we to judge or speak evil against one another? It is God who pronounces judgment because he is perfect. Matthew 10, 28 says this. Get throw that up there. Do not fear, this is Jesus talking to his followers and people around him. Do not fear those who would kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. God, I mean, so Jesus is saying, actually, no, we should be really fearful of taking the place of God in our lives. But yeah, we do it all the time. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this. This is the Apostle Paul. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as much in my presence, but much more or also in my absence. What's the rest of that? Is there something behind it? I need to finish. There it is. Work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. What Jesus is saying and what James is saying and what Paul is saying is actually... You should be trusting God with everything. You should live your life in a way that you don't ever want to insert yourself in, but that's what happens when we speak evil against one another. So what does quarrels and boasting have to do with the last few verses of the next passage? Because Christians often use the next few verses. There's just a few left, 13 through 16. We use it for something else as opposed to what it's actually written for. And it's this, we use it to, God, what is it that you're calling us to in the next season, right? If, if you're graduating high school and you're moving off to college or you're getting close, like, God, what is it that you want for me? Or, like, do you want me to do this ministry? Do you want me to take this job? That's what I hear this verse about all the time. But that's not what it's about. Nothing wrong with asking those thoughts, but it's out of context. And context is key you know, the worst verse in the Bible, the verse that's most misquoted is Romans 8.28. Can I, I want to read the first part of that, 8.28a. And we know that you've heard these, right? Right? You've probably seen it on a painting or you've seen it in a devotional. All these things. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So if you just read that and as it is, it's like, man, all things work together for good, which is true. Except in the middle of it, sometimes it doesn't feel very good. Have you ever, like, like, how do I not feel good about what's going on in my world and in my life right now? But God, you said all things work for those who love you for the good. But it doesn't say that. It says the next part. For those who are what? Called according to his purpose. All things work for good according to those called according to his purpose. 
And the implication is for the Christian is God works all things for the good of the believer called according to his purpose because we could trust him with our lives even when everything else is screaming that things are off the track and I need to assert myself into this situation. For the unbeliever, there might be good things happening in the world, but there's no relief because they're not called according to his purpose because, but with God, I could trust him with no matter what, if I'm called, which brings us back to chapter 4 in James. Let me read 13 through the end of the chapter over you. Come now, you who say, so this is the one that's misquoted. I think this is number two. Today or tomorrow, we will go into such in such a town. You know this verse, right? Have you ever heard this before? Maybe you've read it. And spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is a sin. So this passage is not talking about what's going to happen tomorrow, what we're going to do next year, although we use it that way all the time. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is just like judging is evil and just like boasting is evil, which he referenced, we'll get to in just a second. The assumption is, is that the family relationships that we should all have with one another, maybe within our own families, within the family of the church, or how about the churches together with other churches and the family of churches in the city of Arlington? The assumption behind this passage is, is just because I don't get what I want and I'm really upset with people, then I'm going to have time to make it up. I don't have to do it right now, that's what this passage is saying. Come now, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And so the, the, the believers in this church were saying, it doesn't matter how we treat each other because we have tomorrow to fix it. Or six months, or this thing's really hard between me and my parent or me and my child and I just can't go there right now. I'll have time later to do that. That's not what it's saying because the assumption is, is I have time to work past the judgment while I don't have to change my heart. And the reality of the passage is this, is that we don't know what tomorrow will bring. I don't know what I'm doing a year from now. No one knows what we're doing in six days from now. But man, that thing that it's between me and that person and I'm angry in my heart, and I've spoken evil against them, and I'm still upset, and I feel like they have been betrayed, and I, they've, I've probably betrayed them, I'll get around to it at some point. That's what the passage is saying. So as we turn our attention to our hearts, James, the same believers in Christ, fighting with one another, we actually don't have a lot of time on the earth because we're here a minute, and gone the next. And so, but here's the thing that remains, the witness that is left behind. And so to this church, the witness, the count, the whole, you know, the whole uh, assumption, the whole product of who they are and pointing to who Jesus is and the kingdom has lasted a long beyond what the people were living their lives, right? Because we're still reading about it 2,000 years later. The witness of this church, the witness of what James is writing to, 
has remained long beyond they are gone. Their mist is done. They're in, they're in heaven. They're with Jesus and, and with the Father. We don't have that kind of time. Because who knows what happens next. I don't think anybody had three years ago on their calendar. Anybody go into 2020 thinking we were going to have the world that we were going to have? And all the disruption and all the things. And I know, right, you're like, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, who knows? I remember what, you know, what it was like 15 years ago. I mean, I mean, if you just thought about how crazy technology has gotten in the last five years, they say, I don't know who they are because they sound really important, but I've read an article where they said technology will actually go faster in the last seven years of this decade than it has gone the first 23 years of this century. Think about how radical and how fast our world changes all the time. And we think we have all the time in the world to get to whatever we want to do. And then the complicating things of, I don't have what I want because I haven't asked. And I don't have what I want because I'm not asking for the right things. But I certainly have time to harbor ill will and contempt and frustration and anger against other people. That maybe some of us, I don't know, maybe we had an issue with something that never got resolved. And that person entered eternity. And now we're waiting to reconcile that one day when, when our life is over as well. Or let me say it this way. I've judged you to the point of assuming the position of God in your life. Our relationship will survive. I've judged you to the point that I've assumed the position of God in your life by either what I'm thinking or what I'm feeling or what I'm saying. Our relationship will survive. Keep calm and carry on. Our relationship will survive. Keep calm and carry on. And I don't think God wants us to do that. I don't think he wants us to keep calm and carry on. I actually think he wants us to have hard conversations. I actually think he wants us to forgive people. Imagine what forgiveness would do within the body of Christ and what kind of light that would shed and show to the world around us that is full of what? Unforgiveness and fights and quarrels. Imagine if we stopped arguing about things that are secondary and we actually started arguing about what does it look like for us to be Jesus' hands and feet as we save, or as we, excuse me, serve the world around us. Because that's what James is calling this church to. And I think that's what James is calling this church to. And I'm pretty certain that out of Engage Arlington from last week, that's what God is calling our churches in the city of Arlington to do as well. You agree? But guess where it starts? Right here. Right here. Right here. And we'll never take any other step unless we do those things first. So the band's going to come back up. We're going to sing. Before I do, James is saying for chapter 4, prayer is the most important thing in our lives. It is the embodiment of the relationship that we have with one another and with God. It is the gas in the car. Have you ever had bad gas? A little water in the gas? I don't mean that kind of gas. Goodness gracious. <laughs> Have you ever had... Has your car... See, now I can't even say it again because you're just going to laugh again. I appreciate that. Thank you. But you know what happens. And that's... See, I'm really off the, uh, off the rocker now. But when we speak evil against people... 
we imprison them with our words and we take the place. See, you guys just imprison me with that laugh. Thank you very much. But here's the funny thing. You and I are meant to live free lives. And we're supposed to enable other people to live free lives as well. And we can't do that when we're not trusting that their hearts are good toward us or not showing that our hearts are good toward them. So I want you to stand. And we're going to pray. And what we're going to pray for is that as we enter into the 4th of July, anytime you see a flag this week, I want you to think about how is it, what is it that Jesus has done for me to be free? Because we celebrate ourselves as a country of freedom fighters, right? And I mean, isn't that what the 4th of July is celebrating? That we fought for the cause of freedom? But how often do we live our lives in such a way that we imprison others or we remain in prison because we've got our priorities out of whack. Lord, as we pray, God, I'm thankful that we don't have to be imprisoned anymore and that we don't have to imprison others anymore and that you call us to a better way. God, I think we all assume that our country is going to get better given enough time. Lord, I don't think that's right. I think our country gets better because we press in to the lives of those around us. I think we think that that thing that's between us and the other person, time heals all wounds. Actually, no. What happens is time makes wounds bleed more. And so will you just, in your spirit, call us to be the ointment, the antibiotic, the peroxide that helps us remove the things that are between us? Because We were created to live in freedom. You've designed us to live in freedom. You died so that we would be free. And yet we live lives in such a way, I think, sometimes that we forget that who we're supposed to be. And so as we sing in a minute, uh, God, I pray that we would sing free. That we would live free. That we would speak to one another free. That we would pray free. Because it is for freedom's sake that you came. And it's for freedom's sake that you've ascended and that you've called each of us to play our part. So I ask that you would move right now in Jesus' name. Amen.